go to holidayhk.com. It's, it's for free. It's for anyone to access. Uh, we, we have stories. We have itineraries. We suggest people you know where to go, what to look at, and enjoy, and also stimulate our spending. But the whole point is, I think, after all the, uh, the difficulties and challenges for the last many months or even year, I think it's time for us to to fall in love with the city again, and particularly we want to focus on people who see Hong Kong as our home, not not just mm-hmm. the Cantonese-speaking Chinese people, but also people who have been living in Hong Kong for a long time. So expatriate community, definitely, and we want this message to go out to the friends and the fans of Hong Kong all over the world. Well, that's certainly something we support here on Money Talk. Let's go out and enjoy Hong Kong do, and, and the do. wonderful things that we have around us. Thank you very yeah. much for telling us about that. That's Thank Dane you Chen. very much. That's Dane Cheng, Executive Director of the Hong Kong Tourism Board. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Final look at the markets for this morning. Um, stocks starting to slip lower now around the region. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is off about 0.6%. Over in South Korea, the Cosby is down about a quarter of a percent. In Australia, uh, the ASX 200 is off 0.4%. And it looks like now the Hang Seng is going to open about 120 points lower. That's about half a percent. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil trading at $42 now, 14 cents a barrel. That's slipping. Gold also slipping lower as well, $1,956 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for further Money Talk. Back chats coming up after the news with Hugh Chiverton and Nixie Lamb. The weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy with occasional showers and squally thunderstorms. The maximum temperature is going to be about 30 degrees. The outlook is for heavy rain in the next couple of days. And there is a thunderstorm warning in force at the moment. The temperature right now out at the observatory is 28 degrees and it's 91% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. Teachers' Union Fung Wai Wa says authorities should have considered suspending classes at a Tun Mun school where a student has been confirmed with COVID-19. The school principal says all staff and 30 students will be tested for COVID-19, despite authorities saying no one was considered a close contact of the infected girl and there was no need to shut the school for two weeks. Mr Fung says he's a bit surprised at how authorities handled the case, but suspects it's because the school campus was only open for students who couldn't stay at home. In the past, according to the guidelines, they should suspend class. But for this case, the Education Bureau can argue that if they are having normal classes and this happened at that moment, they should suspend class. But right now, this student is just returned to school because maybe no one to take care of her or because of the hardware problem, she has to return to school to take the online classes. So I think the situation is a bit different. President Trump has predicted that an effective coronavirus vaccine could be ready for mass distribution in the United States within weeks, contradicting comments by one of his top health officials. Mr Trump claimed the head of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Robert Redfield, made a mistake or was confused when he told Congress that a vaccine could be rolled out by the middle of next year. The president said a vaccine would be delivered as soon as it becomes available. They're doing trials, as you know, and as soon as it's given the go-ahead, we will... Uh, get it out, defeat the virus. We've manufactured all of the necessary supplies so that as soon as the FDA approves the vaccine, and uh, as you know, we're very close to that, we'll be able to distribute at least 100 million vaccine doses by the end of 
2020 and a large number much sooner than that. More Australians struck, uh, stuck abroad because of the coronavirus pandemic are to be allowed to return home. The current cap of about 4,000 returns a week is being raised to 6,000. About 27,000 Australians have registered to return. Anyone coming into Australia must spend 14 days quarantined in a hotel. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chivas and your co-host today is Nixie Lam. Nixie, good morning morning. to you. Today we're talking about learning Chinese for non-Chinese speaking students. The administration says it ensures equal opportunities in school admission for all eligible children, including non-Chinese speaking, that's NCS children, in public sector schools regardless of their race. The government is committed, it says, to encouraging and supporting the integration of NCS students, notably students of diverse races, into the community, including facilitating the early adaptation to the local education system and mastery of the Chinese language. But many observers say there's a serious lack of teaching materials systematically designed for NCS students to cater for their varying needs and all the problems that come with learning a written and spoken complicated language without a Chinese-speaking family background. Well, a new project run by uh, Hong Kong U and Oxford is aimed at helping them overcome some of those obstacles. And that's what we're talking about today. Why is it important to learn Cantonese? What are the challenges faced by these students at various ages? Let us know your thoughts, your questions and your comments. Very welcome on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us 233-88266. 233-88266 is the number to comment. We're joined now by Sholini Matani, the founder of uh, Zubin Family. Foundation. Others will be joining us from Hong Kong U and Oxfam uh, later in the programme. Just before we get into that, maybe a, a, a few emails uh, relating to uh, other topics that we've uh, had under discussion. Bowen says there is an explanation of why we're having this extraordinary phenomenon of Hong Kong not maintaining vigilant guard and control of the movement of exempted categories of uh, movement and control of exempted categories of people coming into Hong Kong, i.e. without testing or quarantine, which led to the third wave. It's called executive-led government. That is from Bowen. And uh, Umesh says, morning all, I don't get why opening swimming pools and not beaches. Beaches are big areas for social distancing than swimming pools. My two cents worth. That's from uh, Umesh. And uh, on today's topic, interesting observation uh, from Matthew. Matthew says, uh, in reality, Hong Kong is not a multilingual city, but a Cantonese-speaking one. To really understand and fully engage, one must at least be able to speak Cantonese. Of course, it's possible to live a good life and function here without Cantonese, but this life will be limited and in a bubble quite separate from the mainstream population. For many people, this is not a problem. However, at a practical level, for the children of non-Chinese-speaking families who wish to remain in Hong Kong to build a life after they graduate, whether they be underprivileged or privileged, their career and life opportunities are dramatically limited if they cannot at least speak Cantonese. Even if one's a Harvard or Oxford graduate, it's not possible to compete for the majority of roles in Hong Kong, whether they be with Goldman Sachs or on a checkout at 7-Eleven, against candidates who speak the city's first language of Cantonese, and probably also English and Mandarin. With this as context, it's mind-boggling that the education system provides no effective solution for these types of students. I've always found it incredible that the ESF system appears completely purged of Cantonese
needs language education, even on campuses like KG5, which have a large proportion of students from multi-generational Hong Kong families. It should, in fact, be mandatory. I have learned Cantonese as an adult and understand how difficult it is and how much effort it requires. It is, however, possible, and there are systems being used successfully in a small number of government schools and some South Asian students who successfully master the language. I doubt this will change, but I really wish it would. Thank you very much indeed, Matthew, for, for those uh, observations. Drop us a line, backchat at rthk.hk. Shalini, good morning to you. Good morning. You're Dave. on the other side of the microphone today, so you're, you're, you're answering the questions, uh, not, not asking them uh, for a change. Um, this is something, you know, we've talked about and has been under discussion, of course, for, for, for decades in, in Hong Kong. What's, what, how do you rate the situation now? What's it like for people, especially it's that family background, isn't it? If you don't have that kind of family environment, what are the problems associated with learning Chinese as a, as a, a child in Hong Kong? You know, I think we have to step back a bit. Um, I grew up in Hong Kong. I'm an ethnic minority. And growing up in Hong Kong, we rarely saw ethnic minorities on construction sites and in catering. And today, the majority of menial jobs in Hong Kong, called elementary occupations in Hong Kong, is taken up by ethnic minorities. So what's changed in the last 20 or so years? And... As we look at it, one of the key things that changed actually took place in 97. And it was during the time of C.H. Tung when he um, changed the education policy to mother tongue learning. Now, mother tongue learning actually is beneficial because for most people, if they learn in their mother tongue, they become you know, great at the other subjects of history and physics and chemistry because they're not having to deal with the subject of language plus the, the subject knowledge. But for ethnic minorities overnight, um, you know, the, the education system went from English to Cantonese. And as one of the people whose, whose emails you've just read out, Cantonese or Chinese is a very, very difficult language to learn. And in order to learn it, you have to invest hours per day in, in writing in order to memorize it. And so what we have in Hong Kong today are ethnic minorities who are born and raised in Hong Kong, go to government schools, and they come out of government schools speaking very good Cantonese, but their reading and writing of Chinese is below par. And that is for many reasons, um, including the fact that at home there is um, a different culture to in the Chinese household. So going home after spending a whole day at school, you have to do household chores. If you come from, uh, for example, some of our um, children who practice Islam, their boys go to the mosque every night for a couple of hours. So... Learning Cantonese in Hong Kong has not really been developed um, as a pedagogy for second language learners. So children are expected to go to school and pick up Chinese the same way a Hong Kong Chinese family would pick up Chinese. But there are clear disadvantages to that. I'm just thinking that when when people grow up in, a, in a, say, an English-speaking country, so the UK or something like that, or Australia, it's kind of assumed that they will absorb the language, that they will they will pick it up. Uh, I don't know what your experience was, Nexi, you have no idea. But 
it's, it, it doesn't seem to be such a divide. It doesn't seem to be so difficult to kind of just, as I say, pick it up. Why doesn't that happen in Hong Kong? I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think it is precisely because of the nature of Chinese. I think learning Chinese, it is, it is. I think it's on one of the U.S. State Department websites, is one of the most difficult languages in the world to learn. And so English is really a doddle, you know, 26 letters. You put them together to form words. You put those together to form sentences. It's, and it's, the, written, it's the written element. That's exactly. The, so that's most of the thing. ethnic minorities who come through Hong Kong schools will speak very good Cantonese, but it's their written and that's a problem. And do you think there's also a problem between like jumping between like Cantonese and Mandarin? Because I, I actually spoke to some students, this is like sometimes they have to learn Mandarin as well. So it's like English, Mandarin and Cantonese. I think, yes, that creates another level of confusion. And one of the questions we've certainly asked to education officials is do the Hong Kong ethnic minorities need to be confused with both of those languages as well. So uh, Cantonese as well as Mandarin. But I want to step back a minute. Um, there are other issues at play here. I've mentioned the role of parents. But there is also widespread discrimination that exists um, certainly at kindergarten level. So when children start start formal education in Hong Kong, they go through kindergartens. Mm. And the Zubin Foundation looked at kindergartens in the six districts of Hong Kong that have the highest population of ethnic minorities. We did this in 2018. And we had some very candid conversations with school principals. And basically, these school principals told us how difficult it is to take in ethnic minority children. And that's for a number of reasons. One, Hong Kong Chinese parents often don't want their children in the same class as ethnic minority children. We are perceived as dumb and we take much more time from the teacher. Now, if you think about this objectively, 30 children in a class, one teacher, one teacher assistant, you have four or five ethnic minority children who don't understand from the get-go anything that's been said in class. They quickly get branded as naughty because they may be fidgeting or stupid because they don't understand. And over time, that has stuck. And so parents de generally do not want their children in the same class as ethnic minority children. So ethnic minority children are often put in afternoon classes, PM classes, which is a little bit of a joke in the EM community, or they're put on separate tables. So we have to also address that from the get-go, ethnic minority kids are branded. And part of the problem is teachers are not given resources. So teachers don't want to work in ethnic minority classrooms because they have to get the Chinese reading books and they have to write romanization of those Chinese words. And one of the biggest problems is Hong Kong has not adopted romanization of Cantonese, which is, in my opinion, one of our greatest failures because it will mean that Cantonese, um, in the long run, it will be difficult to sustain Cantonese with ethnic minorities because you need it to be written in romanization because when the child goes home and sees that word, they won't remember what it is and their parents won't have a clue what it is. So we definitely need um, that to be considered. And what about primary and secondary schools? Well, what so 
it's very sad, Hugh, because often children go to kindergartens where there are Chinese medium of instruction kindergartens. And the hope is of the parents that the child will go to a CMI or Chinese medium of instruction primary school. Now, often the child will go to the CMI school, primary school, but they will drop out of the CMI school and make their way into an EMI school at some point during primary because it becomes too difficult. And this is what I mean. We need to develop pedagogy that will get all our ethnic minority children to the same level as the, the Chinese children in Cantonese, but along a different path. And when you think about other languages, like French, uh, like Mandarin, like English, you there are second language curriculums that you can go through and you end up at the same place, but the way you learn it is slightly different. And one of the key to learning it is romanization. And if China, in mainland China, they adopt romanization across this massive country... It's um, a big ask, though, isn't it, <laughs> to, to change Hong Kong in, in that way? It's that, not. That, it's I'm, We're not asking for a change. We're asking for, you know, if you're writing Yat for Yat Isam, you know, mm. that there is a standard form of writing Yat, mm. Y-U-T, with, you know, one of the um, accents or whatever it's called. Yeah. Uh, pinyin. Pinyin, yeah. exactly. That's Pinyin is for, for uh, Mandarin. I actually use, because um, I, I went to Australia in 1998, I actually use Cantonese input as a as a Chinese input method. So but not many people actually knows how to use those like English romanized uh romanized Cantonese. Exactly. Well that. the problem is we actually have two forms of romanization of Cantonese in Hong mm. Kong. I believe one developed by one university and one developed on, by another university. And they have never agreed to this one form. <laughs> and because Hong Kong is, you know, ninety four percent Chinese they haven't felt there is a need to adopt romanization. But if you're trying to teach NC NCS speakers how to learn Cantonese, it's a no-brainer. Mm. How much of it um, comes down to the, the matter of the family, the family background? Uh, huge. Yeah. It's huge. If there's uh, no one who speaks Chinese in the family, the homework... Uh, doesn't can't really be done, can it? There's a kind of dead end there. There's a lot of. I think of there problems. are. I think there are a couple of things. I think one, it's the culture first before the language. So okay. So I had, as a personal experience, I had. Well, a well then, you know, mm. you, you know, you could say, well, that's a choice, isn't it? If you want your child to spend two hours in the mosque every day, then they were going to lose out on other things. Right. And language However, might be one of those things. So let me step back a minute. Mm. So I had a daughter in a private Chinese school uh, for four years, and I had to make a decision along with my husband that we were going to pull her, her, her out. She, it was in Mandarin, so 70% of her, 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 her day was in Mandarin. Um, but the reason we pulled her out was because every day she would spend from the age of four an hour to two hours Per night at home, per, per night homework. At the age of nine, she was doing two and a half hours per night, and eight to nine hours per weekend. And we just had to say, as a family, that's really eight and a half. Uh, going to work? Nine hours at the weekend. So we had to say, as a family, yeah. that we this was not acceptable to us. 
right? Mm. So you asked the question, you just said kind of almost flippantly, you know, you know, it's the price you pay, you've got to do it. Well, we weren't prepared to pay that price. Mm. So I think at some point your, your core values come into conflict maybe with learning the language. Do you, do you have to do that to learn Chinese? Do you have to have that sort of... I, you do hours and hours of homework every night. I didn't learn to read and write Cantonese. But now that I've had a child go through a Putonghua school, I would say, and I'm delighted she had those first four years, but I do think that you do need the repetitive writing mm. in order for the words to stick and words build on each other. So I do actually think it is critical that you do that writing day in and day out. And and the way they do it in school is you it's dictation because they want to memory call. And I actually think that is the way to do it. I don't like it. So I think there are things that come with learning written Chinese that means you have to compromise time in other things, mm. sports and music and, and perhaps life in other ways. Mm. All right. We're all joined now by uh, Wong Chek Hong, for, who's the Hong Kong program manager at uh, Oxfam uh, in Hong Kong. Ms. Wong, good morning to you. Uh, good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Tell us about uh, Oxfam's interest. What are, you, what are you preparing? I know you're involved in, in, in dealing with this and um, problems facing NCS students in, in Hong Kong. What, what are you doing? Um, in fact, uh, Oxfam, together with uh, Hong Kong U and um, HU, launched uh, a project um, uh, which name is Start from the Beginning Chinese Supporting Scheme for Non-Chinese Speaking Students in Kindergarten uh, since 2015. And um, we have been helping over um, more than 1,000 uh, NCS students in kindergartens to improve their Chinese proficiency. And I... Uh, the gap between the Chinese-speaking students um, and them has been close over 15%. Um, we think that um, it is very important to um, provide that uh, program, including uh, we have developed uh, in Chinese as a second language enrichment curriculum, teaching materials, uh, pedagogies, teaching strategies, and assessment methods to all kindergartens so that um, uh, we, we, we think that it is very crucial to help them in uh, the kindergarten stage because the early childhood is the golden time for them to learn um, language. So if we can um, provide a crucial help in this stage, it will help them to um, smoothly uh, uh, trans transmit to the primary stage and also other learning stage. Uh, you know, you can have a curriculum and you can have textbooks and, and everything, but do the kindergartens, have they got time to teach this separately and to deal with the, uh, to deal differently with the different needs from the ethnic minority children? Yes, uh, because uh, uh, since the project has started, we closely work with um, some kindergartens. Uh, it is our pilot project uh, starting from 2015. Uh, we firstly pilot with um, uh, six kindergarten, and now we are going to the stage three. Uh, we will um, work together with um, uh, more than um, 14, 40 uh, kindergartens um, in Hong Kong with this NCS student. And um, we uh, developed a um, dynamic enrichment learning mode, DELM, uh, which is 
the first intervention model in Hong Kong developed by our team. Um, it is applied uh, as an enrichment program in the schooling time of the NCS student um, in individual base or group basis. So we will provide this enrichment course to the NCS student, but the student will not sacrifice other group activities as they will take turns to join um, our enrichment class and also return back to their classroom to continue the mainstream course. So um, the teachers find them the arrangement is good because they because the student um, can apply what they have learned in our enrichment class and improve the communication with the classmate and also the performance in the mainstream class. So uh, we think that um, the the DEM, DELM mode is um, fits the needs of the um, teachers and the education needs of the school. So, um, what's the uh, extra support like the school needs to um, like input into this if they want to join the program? Um, a, as, uh, as mentioned before, uh, because we will provide an enrichment class, that means um, we will um, have uh, a Chinese as a second language curriculum applied in this enrichment class. Um, it's uh, it's conducted uh, with um, interesting ways, just like storybook songs, um, a, and, and interesting uh, games and activities. And so we will help the NCS student to learn Chinese. Um, at first, at least they can um, speak uh, fluently, and then they can learn how to read and write um, a simple word so that uh, step by step, maybe a daughter Lom will join uh, later on in this stage. She can explain much detail in the teaching um, pedagogy how to do it. So um, in our experience, um, which can uh, help those NCS students to increase the Chinese proficiency and also close the gap um, with the Chinese counterparts. Okay, uh, our number is uh, 233 We've got a caller on the line, Phyllis. Is it the Phyllis I'm thinking of? Phyllis, good morning. Good morning, Hugh. Yeah, this is um, Phyllis from, from Unison. From Unison, yeah. Go yeah, ahead. Good morning. Good morning, yeah. Oh, yeah, but um, explain what Unison is. You're, you're a, an NGO. Okay, we are an NGO who is concerned about um, the rights of um, ethnic minorities, and mm -hmm. mainly we are focused on... Um, equitable and also equal opportunities, um, educational opportunities for ethnic minority children. Mm -hmm. Go ahead then, Phyllis. Yes, yeah, so um, I totally agree with what Shalini um, says. And the thing is, we think there are some deep-rooted um, issues in the education system that are blockages or barriers to um, ethnic minorities learning Chinese, one of which is um, discrimination in kindergarten. Although the, um, and this has been proven, I mean, Shalini said they have a report in 2018. Unison did one in 2015. The EOC did another one um, around 2018 as well. And they had, and it's, it's very, um, it's, it's not direct discrimination, you know, saying that, oh, you're an Indian, you're a Pakistan, Pakistani, and I do, we do not pick students 
um, of this ethnicity. But it's more indirectly using, you know, different excuses or bad attitudes. I mean, um, very unwelcoming attitudes, even when you apply for the kindergarten. And so, although the Education Bureau has a whole slew of policies and regulations um, to move to on, you know, preventing discrimination against ethnic minorities, but they are not really monitoring. So um, it stems from, you know, the root problem is you start education from kindergarten, and if you don't have those three years of um, kindergarten, local kindergarten education, because not every one of them can afford international kindergarten, right? And then most local mainstream kindergartens would teach in Chinese. So you build up a foundation on uh, that. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, yeah. we just got it like a, a minute or so before we have to break for the news, but you, you could stay on. I think a lot of okay. the kindergartens, their, their attitude might be, the trouble is, it's just, it's my fan. It's just, it's because you've got to, you've got to do things in another language. It's just much easier if you've got everybody who speaks the same language. And otherwise, you've got to translate messages and, and so on. It's just a no, lot of trouble. Kids pick up a language so fast, you know. As um, But dealing with the parents uh, and everything, um, they just they just see it. And because also it's because they have a also because they are yeah because also because they have a a money making element in them kindergartens in Hong Kong don't they? Mm. It's just uh it's just too much trouble really to deal with this the specialist requirements I guess. Mm-hmm. Is that what they say to you? Is that what? No, no. Um, I mean the education bureau is just not monitoring the the guidelines and the policies mm. that they've issued. For example, um, having bilingual um, forms and bilingual uh, admission websites. I mean, these things they have not really um, looked into. Uh, And also providing interpretation and translation during interviews. And not many parents know, and schools do not, it's very inconvenient for them. So they would not use a free government service to ask for translators, translators and interpreters during interviews. Yeah, I had no idea that was that was available. Well, uh, maybe you could stick with us, and we'll continue after the news at nine. We're going to uh, break for uh, a moment. Drop us a line. Uh, join the conversation. Uh, two three three eight eight two six six is a number, or you can email backchat@rthk.hk. Uh, the weather before the news now at nine. It's going to be mainly cloudy today, with occasional showers and some squally thunderstorms. Temperatures up to about thirty degrees. Uh, the outlook: occasional heavy rain in the next couple of days. Uh, There is a thunderstorm warning, effective until at least 11 o'clock this morning. 28 degrees at the moment, relative humidity at 91%. 100 million vaccine doses by the end of 2020 and a large number much sooner than that. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Backchat on a Thursday morning. We're talking about uh, learning Chinese, learning uh, uh, Cantonese in particular uh, in Hong Kong uh, when you don't come from a, a Chinese-speaking background. Uh, NCS students is what we're talking about, especially uh, this is a problem uh, that uh, concerns uh, uh, ethnic minority children uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, the families may wish to uh, integrate and to uh, join Hong Kong society uh, fully, uh, but it's tricky. There are educational uh, 
problems associated with that, and that's what we're talking about uh, this morning. Uh, with uh, Shalini Mati, uh, Matani, he's the founder of the Zubin Foundation. Uh, Wong Shek Hong, who's the Hong Kong Program Manager at uh, Oxfam. And we're also joined now by Elizabeth Lowe, Assistant Professor in the Faculty of Education at the University of Hong Kong. And still on the line, uh, we hope, is, uh, is also uh, Phyllis, uh, who's from uh, Unison, uh, Hong Kong. Uh, uh, Wong Shek Hong, I think you wanted to say something about the, the situation with kindergartens. We were just touching on that before, before the news at, at nine o'clock. And, and how uh, kindergartens, Chinese language, Chinese medium kindergartens, how they deal with non-Chinese speaking students. I, I totally understand what Felix um, um, mentioned about the reductions of the kindergartens to admit the NCS students. Um, in fact, we approach a lot of uh, kindergartens, um, and they are also under the free uh, kindergarten uh, um, scheme um, by the EDP. Uh, I think one of the major reasons behind the reluctance is that they are not uh, well equipped to teach NCS um, students learning Chinese. And in fact, this is also a great policy gap because um, there's no structure and effective programs uh, of government for helping the teachers to teach NCS Chinese as a second language, especially at the kindergarten uh, level. Um, this is a policy gap that uh, our project aims to fill right now. So, um, and we always um, talk to the EDB um, should provide a comprehensive Chinese as a second language curriculum. In fact, now it's not uh, exactly what is it. Um, and also, we well, the, there is a there is a Chinese language curriculum, second language learning framework mm-hmm. now in second primary and secondary schools. Is that right? Um, yes, I Dr. Law I, I, is on the line. Okay. Um, she's the expert. Uh, maybe she can explain a bit why this um, framework is not exactly um, can help those uh, teachers at kindergarten to or, or primary school to um, teach the NCS students. Okay, well, let's go, let's go then to Elizabeth Lowe from the Faculty of Education at the University of Hong Kong, Assistant Professor. Good morning to you and, and thanks for joining us. As I said, the administration uh, says it's taking this seriously and it's working to uh, improve uh, language, Chinese language education for ethnic minorities and it has this, this uh, framework for second language uh, learning in primary and secondary schools. Uh, how would you assess that? Um, thank you for giving us this opportunity to explain a bit our project and what goals that we want to achieve. Um, talking about the CSL uh, learning framework, in fact, it is um, like a um, small step of the local uh, mainstream Chinese language framework. Um, the ultimate goal and the, um, um, and the um, objectives for students to learn Chinese is the same to um, native Chinese-speaking students, it just breaks down the local curriculum into a bit smaller steps. Um, what it lacks, um, there are a few aspects that it has to be enhanced. First of all, it needs to consider the development of a second language. And um, Although we all want our NCS student can be a fluent Chinese language speaker and user um, for their long-term um, development in Hong Kong, academically and also to their occupation and development. And we cannot deny that at the beginning, Chinese is a second language to them. Therefore, we need to observe the way for a second language learner to master a language. It should be start from the listening and speaking 
and then character recognition, considering the uniqueness of Chinese language, which is not a phonological language system. And then we need to help our students to learn the reading and writing um, in a more pleasurable and effective way. Um, but the curriculum did not emphasize this kind of um, learning progress. It just treats the student like others, native Chinese speakers. So this is one aspect it has to be enhanced. For, on the other hand, uh, when we teach children they are not native Chinese speakers, there are various aspects they do not have that background knowledge or family support. Therefore, teachers need to know very well about the language difficulties and the way second language learners are learning. However, as what um, uh, Sek Hong has mentioned, our teachers are not prepared for that. This is because um, such professional requirement is not uh, in the system. Teachers do not require us to have um, more understanding about how NCS students' uh, way of learning or the related pedagogy so as to teach this group of children. Therefore, missing this very important piece of information, teachers were afraid to take care of this group of children. In fact, NCS children or the teaching of Chinese as a second language is something relatively new in the educational field. The majority of people in Hong Kong are native Chinese speakers. They, the teachers do not have that kind of professional training or that kind of um, teaching experience in the past. Therefore, when there are a group of NCS students in their class, she do not know how they can, uh, she can take care of them, not to say the huge individual differences within one classroom. May Therefore, I? And teachers need that kind of support and training. And our program also wants to support teachers for doing so. May I add to that? Um, Solomon, I, I, I think a lot of uh, what um, Professor Lewis said is, is, is quite fair. However, I, I disagree that, you know, this is new. We have been talking about this for way too long. And I think what is okay. new is perhaps the um, those in universities have started to talk about it. But NGOs have been talking about this for a very long time. Now, I think that what is really missing from our teachers is, yes, they are not taught how to teach Cantonese as a second language. But that is because there is no pedagogy, there's no institute in Hong Kong for learning Cantonese as a second language. Now, this sort of institute to learn Cantonese as a second or an additional language is critical for the longevity of Cantonese. And it will not just help ethnic minorities, it will help Chinese kids who are abroad, it will help Chinese kids in Hong Kong who have who, who are learning Mandarin but not Cantonese. There would be multiple uses for this. But also teachers in Hong Kong are not they do not have mandatory training on inclusive education. They are not taught how to think about differences in the classroom. Special needs children, children with various forms of disabilities, gay and lesbian children. The whole idea of inclusive education is not um, something that is taught. I just, I just want to say something else here. You know, the big problem here, the reason why today universities are addressing this and there's the um, Oxfam program with Hong Kong U, there's also a jockey club program called C for Chinese, is because of the problem of poverty. 
right? We now have poverty widespread in one community, which is the ethnic minority community. So the question is being asked, what has led to this? Now, let's flip the problem on its head. And let's say we educated children in a language that is close to their first language. 85% of ethnic minorities speak English. Okay, let's say they receive stellar education up to the age of 18 in, in English, and they learned Cantonese just speaking, just learning to speak so that they can function and be socially acclimatized. Then at 18, they do a one or two year program to learn Cantonese, for example, the CUHK program, to learn Cantonese brilliantly so that they can go Britain, on to be mean. lawyers and doctors and whatever. Thank you, Melanie, for your um, uh, comments. Um, first of all, I need to address about um, uh, the teachers' professional training. Um, in, uh, until 2014, um, uh, by that year, um, there is some um, intention that EDB allocate NCS students to more local school, more, lo more local mainstream school. But before that, um, I think um, you have heard about destinated school. By that time, most of the students were studying in a few, I think about 30 uh, destinated schools in yes, Hong Kong. Yes, yes, I'm very aware teachers, of that. These teachers do not have that opportunity to approach this group of students before the 2014. Oh, okay, once the um, policy has been um, changed, that everybody would have the opportunity to admit NCS students. However, the training were not in place at the same time. Um, so teachers are facing a very challenging time how to take care of this group of students. Um, another thing that teachers are very concerned is when there is no official requirement of, about teaching Chinese as a second language, the professional and all the effort they have been paid to prepare themselves to teaching this group of students were not recognized by the school. They were like another kind of ethnic minority in the school that they, they are the only one maybe one person in the whole school to take care of this group of children. When the principal considering who can be promoted in the school, those teachers will not be considered because their experience will not uh, being um, present by the school. Yes, because this is just a small group of children. Okay. Therefore, when facing the reality, teachers need to consider what career path they want to achieve. Therefore, this is the reason why Sek uh, Hong and, and us want the government to, to face the, the pressing need of the, uh, teaching this group of children and also the government should post some specific professional requirement to the teachers. In fact, for the University of Hong Kong, we've been supporting NCS students to learn Chinese for more than a decade, from kindergarten, primary and to secondary schools. And we've been offering elective for undergraduate, postgraduate, and uh, teachers who were interested to taking this course. However, we observe the registration number is not that high. This is because the reality. Um, uh, Professor Lo, um, on the uh, the use of uh, subsidized commission, uh, uh, subsidized uh, fundings in schools would would that help to promote programs like this? Because I heard like a lot of principals mm. say like that funding is not flexible enough for them to say put into like parent school communication on that aspect or cultural integration activities. Mm. Thank you for 
for asking this question. Um, this is a very um, important subsidy from the government. Um, we all know that learning Chinese um, uh, incur a lot of difficulties. Um, more than that, Chinese is also a tool for the children to learn other subjects uh, if they were in a CMI school and also for most of the primary schools in Hong Kong that they are using Chinese as the medium of instruction. That subsidy really helped a lot for school to hire additional teaching manpower to support this group of students. However, due to there is no restricted requirement about the teacher's qualification. School also facing a very difficult time to find someone who wants to devote themselves to support this group of students with relevant teaching professional training and also relevant experience. We've been working with many schools, I think nearly a hundred. Every time when we go to the school, we meet someone new because when they find another a better job opportunity, they will leave the school Absolutely. and join the mainstream curriculum. I think this is the ultimate um, reason and the difficulty that we need to face. Absolutely. So I, teachers yeah. don't want to work with ethnic minorities, but I want to go back to why teachers don't want to work with ethnic minorities. I think it is career progression, but I also think they don't have the pedagogical support. Um, so, I, I do agree with that. I meet a large group of teachers, they are so passionate. Yes. They love NCS students. However, when we when you're facing the reality, you need to choose between being a mainstream Chinese language teacher or a second language teacher. I know the market in the world about teaching Chinese is huge. But when you were in Hong Kong, teaching Chinese as a second language is still developing. Therefore, if the government recognize it as a professional qualification, then the teacher would want to devote themselves and they are more, hap more than happy to doing so. I think this is similar to the case of um, taking care of the uh, student with educational needs uh, some years ago. By that time, the government also do not require teachers to have that kind of professional knowledge. However, after um, fighting back from the NGOs and also pressing needs from, from the parents, the government already require teachers to have that kind of professional training. Um, just like our university, our undergraduate program, we have two courses um, for students, learn how to take care of stu uh, students with diverse learning needs. And it will be recognized as a professional training uh, before they will graduate and join the educational field. But we need to fight for that. And I think it is important. I think that uh, I think you, you, sorry, I think is, that, you, is, I, is that Phyllis on the line? Yes. Go on, yes, go on Phyllis. Phyllis on just, uh, just a very um, yeah. three short comments. Um, the first one is on um, Chinese as a second language, and I think the definition is very important. Um, I do not agree with um, Professor Lowe's um, saying that this is new. Um, it, the definition is different because for the longest time, I mean um, more than 10 years ago, um, the government, the Education Bureau has taken Chinese as a second language as something very simple and they have actually allowed um, the, the, the ethnic minority students at school to take Chinese as a second language UK exams. So these are actually for real, you know, second language speakers, but who do not need to use the language every day. But whereas in um, what we're talking right now, this Chinese as a second language is not just, you know, um, 
perhaps like what Shalini said, is additional language, but it's a surviving language in a city where the majority speaks Chinese and things are not really officially bilingual. So I think the definition of CSL has to be, you know, um, has to be defined more. And what um, what the Education Bureau now is, they haven't defined, you know, um, Chinese as a second language. There is no um, learning, of, there's no stage learning objectives. For example, everybody knows, you know, by, um, by form six, after 12 years of uh, education, um, students are supposed to get to which level, right? So, but with um, Chinese as a second language, the Education Bureau has not defined anything because they had the greatest hope that in the 12 years of education, they will be able to transition into a mainstream class, but without um, without teaching pedagogy to teachers. The second point I want to make is um, on Shalini's comment on um, most ethnic minorities are English speakers. Um, English to many of the ethnic minority families is also a second language to them. So um, although it is a, li a lingua franca, most families, um, there, there will be at least one family member who would speak the language. But um, we also see, you know, families who have been in Hong Kong for a long time, um, perhaps their Cantonese is actually better than English because they have been brought up in, in a, a Chinese education system. So um, I, I do not agree that um, teach them just verbal Cantonese because uh, that won't be enough. And if um, a child learn at a young age, and we've seen um, some ethnic minority students uh, who, who went to mainstream kindergarten at a young age, able to enter a mainstream primary school. It doesn't have to be a CMI school, but it's a mainstream primary school. So it's not the designated schools. And they pick up the language very easily. And it's a lot of effort for families, I agree, you know, to continue on to their um, Chinese learning progress. But but English is also their second language. I want to... Um, I want to um just go to Phyllis's point. While I agree that for some kids, Cantonese is better than their Cantonese spoken is better than their spoken English. Without a doubt, many of those families or those kids themselves will say, but my writing of English is better. And if you look at the census, the Hong Kong census from 2016, something like 84% of ethnic minorities speak English uh, as an additional language, whereas it's only half of that for Cantonese, it's 40-something percent. So, yes, and there yes. are the anomalies of kids who work extraordinarily hard. They, they go to a kindergarten that's in Cantonese. They make it through primary school. They, they have their parents' support. They, they spend hours reading and writing Chinese, and they come out fantastic. But those are also the minority of cases. And so my my question is how do we solve the issue of poverty and marginalization in this community we all recognize that Cantonese is important especially for accessing opportunities later on so how do we make sure that the kids who say to you and me look ma'am I, I love sciences and I and I, I love maths but I'm really terrible in Cantonese so you know what I cannot be a doctor or I cannot be uh, an engineer Yes. So, so I, all I'm I saying is that. every child 
it's the right of every child to um, achieve their full potential and we're failing those children so can we be creative and maybe what i suggest about you know delaying the reading and writing is not a great idea but i do think that we need to give every child the opportunity or, or, or do you need or do you need specialist schools do you need separate schools well then that where, where leads to segregation Segregation. Right, but you could have English medium of instruction schools that are fantastic. I mean, why is it that those same schools, you know, when Hong Kong had English as its um, language of education, were churning out doctors and civil servants and engineers, and now these schools are seen as, you know, uh, breeding grounds for kids to go into the catering industry or to construction? I, I don't get but it. Can, it's, we, can we just go back one step? and look at the education system. And what we are all, you know, the four of us are talking is there is no systematic way to learn Chinese. And Chinese is, is not learned as a, as a second language perspective. So why do they learn, why can they speak English? Is it because it's easier? But it, I, I don't, I don't, I, I agree Chinese is a difficult language to learn according to um, the U.S., um, what Shalini quoted. But again, um, Unison was looking at other countries. Finnish in Finland is not an easy language to learn. German is not easy to learn. But for second generation um, immigrants or migrants, who are born and raised in Germany or Finland, they do have a second language program for them and they will be able to, if they, and if they start this second language program early enough in, um, you know, early pre-primary um, schools, then they would be able to transition into mainstream schools. Absolutely. Mainstream education. So I Absolutely. think we go back and look at the root um, cause because, uh, of this program. Because uh, our program in Hong Kong, we approach a lot of um, kindergarten school and we provide service, especially um, what uh, Phoenix told, um, I, we try to work with the university to have the Chinese as a second language um, curriculum apply in this uh, kindergarten. And uh, from our experience, um, with systematic uh, pedagogy, uh, teaching materials and curriculum, teaching strategy and assessment methods, um, we can um, we can say that the students are able to um, catch up uh, the Chinese proficiency. And our research um, evidence that uh, the gap between Chinese-speaking students have been closed over 50%. And um, What so, does that uh, mean? Does that it, mean at the end of kindergarten they're at the same level as the Chinese kids or not? Um, Firstly, uh, we have to admit that there are some differences between the Chinese speaking and non-Chinese speaking. So we um, have to develop some systematic ways to address um, their special needs. So uh, if we can have this um, systematic way, we can close the gaps um, at least half of it. But uh, we want to um, say that, in fact, the government um, right now do not have a very systematic, um, comprehensive Chinese as a second language curriculum. And also they are not require all the teachers um, in this uh, kindergarten with the NCS students have to um, receive professional training. So we urge the government to uh, require those teachers to uh, receive basic advanced and thematic course on teaching Chinese as a second language. Referencing to um, the existing 
classes apply to the special education needs, and they should uh, set the training targets to ensure school admitting the students to send a certain percentage of teachers to receive relevant training, so as to um, equip them. Uh, they can able to teach the student and ensure the student have a good result. Mm. Okay, well, we've got quite a lot of uh, emails and, and, and comments that I'd like to share um, just before we uh, finish. Uh, oh, let's see, everyone has a different experience, I think. Uh, Michelle on Facebook says, I think it's important to learn the local language, but as a mother of three mixed-race children who have tried the local system, I can attest it's extremely difficult for the children and parents alike to cope. If the mother is not the Chinese speaker, it's almost impossible. Local schools do not have support for children or parents. Google Translate late can only go so far uh, Michelle also says everything your guest is saying is 100% true, my children have been labelled as slow or dumb teachers don't have the training and many don't want to spend the time helping either my son failed, all his subjects taught in Chinese and the school would not have tried to help us remedy this TC says the answer is simple. It's because Chinese and its spoken version Cantonese is the predominant language of Hong Kong. How can anyone integrate into mainstream Hong Kong society without it? It's almost my opinion that everyone should make an effort to learn the language of where they live. Uh, and they should be given an opportunity to learn the language. In regards to romanization of Cantonese, while it does exist, the government is reluctant to adopt it as an official method. The government of the Cantonese capital of the world can simply deal with this issue by adopting uh, Ping, the Cantonese input method commonly used in mobile phones. And there's a, a link to the Wikipedia uh, entry on that. Phil B says, I don't think learning Cantonese is the problem. The problem is English. The standard of English is, is uh, very poor. Uh, Jeremy says, a non-political program on Backchat this morning. Very refreshing. No need for anger levels to rise. Important topic too. Methods for Hong Kong ethnic minorities to learn Chinese or Cantonese. Uh, Jay says, many of the education Bureau, here comes the anger. Many of the education bureaus should be sacked. The kids now are being taught too many irrelevant things in the school curriculum, and because there's not enough time in the day to complete the curriculum, the kids have one or two hours of homework. The problem there is foreign parents don't understand how to help the children do the homework, so this puts the child at a disadvantage. My child had a very good Chinese education in regular kindergarten, and all homework was put on the board so all parents and domestic helpers could copy it and understand 10 points for that one. Undereducated kids don't want to spend extra time learning. They need space to enjoy life. The Education Bureau needs to change the way they teach these kids so they pick up more quickly. The Education Bureau needs a bloody good lesson in household harmony because they have certainly lost the plot there. Danny says, uh, learning Chinese is never easy, and having met many of them, I really sympathise with the difficulties faced by children without a Chinese-speaking parent who enrol in Chinese medium schools. There are some striking success stories among those who persevere, and there are many others who give up and transfer out to an English medium or even English-only school. But in some respects, this is only a more extreme version of the problem faced by most school kids in Hong Kong. At my children's school, there are many children who have two Chinese-speaking parents and speak Cantonese at home, but are nonetheless unable to keep up with their Chinese lessons, fail this subject, and end up transferring out to schools where they don't need to study Chinese. I'm not sure what the problem is, but just to say it's broader than only non-Chinese-speaking families. 
And uh, Matthew, whose uh, email uh, opened this conversation uh, this morning, says, I really don't think the root cause behind so few non-Chinese uh, people learning Cantonese is discrimination, being underprivileged, or the teaching system. Of course, ethnic minorities suffer from discrimination, but the language problem cuts across social class. The root cause is rather the choice that non-Chinese people and families make to prioritise their own language and culture over integrating fully into Hong Kong. Imagine a scenario in another city where people continue to be educated and use a non-local language. The result would be the same. People learn English in Australia because they have to in order to fit into Australian society. There is no choice. In Hong Kong, we imagine we have a choice, but if we choose to prioritise our own language over Cantonese, uh, we will simply not be able to learn it to a local level. It most certainly can be done if the desire is there. Look at the number of Indonesian maids who can speak decent Cantonese with no formal education. The problem is, we imagine, we don't need to make the effort to fully integrate. If one wants to learn to read and write Chinese, there is simply no short cut. It has to be learnt the way Chinese people have learnt it for centuries. But it's from uh, Matthew. Thank you very much indeed for that. Thank you for all our thoughts and thank you very much to uh, our guest this morning, Phyllis Chung from uh, Unison joining us on the, on the line there. Uh, Wong Shek Hung, who's a Hong Kong programme manager at uh, Oxfam. Uh, Elizabeth Lowe, assistant professor in the Faculty of Education at the University of Hong Kong. And in our central studio, uh, Shonani Matani, who's the founder of the Zubin Foundation. Thank you very much indeed for uh, joining us this morning. Uh, Nixie, thank you very much indeed. Uh, we'll be back at 8.30 tomorrow, leaving you now with the weather. Many clouds with occasional showers and squally thunderstorms. The outlook, occasional heavy rain in the next couple of days. Windy with swells on Friday and still showery. Early next week, there's a thunderstorm warning at the moment. 28 degrees Celsius, relative humidity 92%. The government is conducting a public consultation on the 2020 policy address. Please share your views on different policy areas. We are willing to listen and engage. For details, please visit the website www.policyaddress.gov.hk. Nine thirty-three. The news now with Samantha Butler. The president of the professional teachers union, Fung Wai Wa, says authorities should have considered suspending classes at a Tunmun school where a student has been confirmed with COVID-19. The school principal says all staff and 30 students will be tested for COVID-19 despite authorities saying no one was considered a close contact of the infected girl and there was no need to shut the school for two weeks. Mr Fung says he's a bit surprised at how authorities handled the case but suspects it's because the school campus was only open for students who couldn't stay at home. A tourism professor indicates that Hong Kong's theme parks have a chance of survival, even operating at 50% capacity. Professor Brian King from Polytechnic University's School of Hotel and Tourism Management says the reduced capacity gives the park a chance to try out new ideas. And President Trump has predicted that an effective coronavirus vaccine could be ready for mass distribution in the United States within weeks, contradicting comments by one of his top health officials. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Design. Great interpreter of Beethoven. And by oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council. Co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. The study of what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In-depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. 
Good morning. Welcome to Thursday. It is the Morning Brew with me, Phil Whelan. Nice, easy one for you today. Steve Vines, of course, is going to be keeping things down to standard at 10.10, live from his cycling summer palace. Join in with your comments and questions, as usual. We'll be up on Facebook today. Gave him a rest last week. After 11.30, our vet Dr. David Gething here to talk about pet allergies and, once again, 